You are listening to a sermon from the Mulvane Church of Christ in Mulvane, Kansas. Subscribe in your favorite podcatching app or find and listen to any sermon online at mulvanechurch.com slash sermons. Last time we finished our rather lengthy study of the uh, works uh, or the fruit of the Spirit and uh, before that the uh, works of the flesh those long lists that uh, Paul had detailed for us in the book of Galatians and Galatians uh, uh, 17 to 23 or so. Now we're in verse 24 as we follow uh, what comes after the fruit of the Spirit, Paul reminding us the need of living in that way and again refusing those things of the flesh. So Galatians 5:24. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with his passions and desires. And we live by the, if we live by the Spirit, let us walk by the Spirit. Let us not become boastful, challenging one another, envying one another. So this is a a recap of the moral importance, the moral ought to of following after this way. It's a recapping what Paul had said that led us into this detailed discussion of the good and the bad, the flesh and the spirit. He'd said back in verse 16, he said, I say, walk by the spirit and you'll not carry out the desires of the flesh. For the flesh sets his desire against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. These are in opposition to one another that you may not do the things that you please. Particularly, you ought not do the things that you please that they're wrong. To the Thessalonians, he'd say, fulfill every desire for goodness in 1 Thessalonians 5. So over time, we're going to reshape what we desire, what we want, the way we live, even though we are still, and Paul will stress this greatly, we are still not under uh, the law of Moses. Now, again, those Jews who thought the law was the end all and be all and, and the very point of morality thought that if you didn't have the law, well, you'd just spin out of control. If you don't have the first commandment to put God above all others. Well, what might you do? Well, you put some of the God first. If you didn't have the commandment to not to covet or not to bear false witness or not to murder or not commit adultery, well, what might you do? Well, they thought, well, you'll do every one of those things just like people without the law do. But what they didn't count on was we're led and constrained in a better way, in a different way, with a law written on the heart from God, which is that spirit uh, that we have through Christ Jesus the things we've been taught in the gospel. And so, again, we are not, verse 24, we are not following the flesh. We have crucified that. Verse 24, now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. So in belonging to Christ is a crucifixion of self. Uh, what did we study just last night here in our Bible class from the Gospel of Luke in the 14th chapter? To deny yourself, to take up your cross and follow after him, hating father, mother, brother, sister, uh, all those uh, various tender relationships that we have, uh, putting Christ above all of those, and yes, hating even your own life. So we have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Now, here's one of the problems of us having crucified that flesh 
is it comes back worse than any zombie you've seen in any movie you've ever watched. That crucified flesh keeps rising back to life, and it becomes a walking corpse again and tries to take over the world. Tries to take us over first. And so it is, yes, a bit aspirational to say that we have done this. This is what we, the moral ought, the thing we ought to have done for those who belong in Christ by all means and by all rights. They should have done it, but from time to time it's not fully evident, and it hasn't in all cases been fully accomplished. And I think about these passages, because uh, uh, they're in 1 Corinthians, and if we ever need somebody to be a good case of a bad example, it's the Corinthians. Paul said this to the brethren, those who were certainly in Christ. He said, I say brethren. He said, I could not speak to you as spiritual men, but as to men of flesh. Oh, that's, not, that's what we ought not be, right? That man of flesh ought to be, have been crucified, uh, put away, and, and done in. But Paul says, I couldn't speak to you as spiritual men, but as men of flesh, 1 Corinthians 3, as to infants in Christ, as babes in Christ. I gave you milk to drink, not solid food, for you weren't yet able to receive it. Indeed, even now you're not able, for you're still fleshly. For since there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not fleshly? And are you not walking like mere men? For when one says, I'm a Paul, and another says, I'm of Apollos, are you not mere men? Then he goes on to say that Christ was not divided. We ought to be in Christ and united with him and not into parties and in various factions. Well, those are exactly the words of the works of the flesh. So even though positionally, relationship-wise, we are in Christ and we do belong to Christ, that doesn't mean we've got this instruction in verse 24 yet fully worked out, right? We have crucified the flesh in his passions and desires. Again, that's an aspirational statement of what ought to be and what we are uh, working on. Uh, in some cases, we find some brethren who are being a bit wayward. They're not doing that. Continuing on in 1 Corinthians 3, it talks about how God has not only raised up the Lord, 1 Corinthians 3, 14, but he'll also raise us up through his power. So there we are in Christ, with Christ, the hope of Christ, the hope of the resurrection. But then he says to those people, he says, do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take away the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? May it never be. Or do you not know that the one who joins himself to a prostitute is one body with her? For he says, the two shall become one flesh. But the one who joins himself to the Lord is one spirit with him. Flee immorality. For every other sin a man commits is outside the body, but the immoral man sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit? Well, he's reminding them. Don't you know this? Don't you? Haven't you got these Christian basics yet? Your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who's in you, who you have from God, and that you're not your own. For you've been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. So there, Paul was very pointed in the sins that were being carried on by those who were at that time in Christ. But I have to say, if they didn't straighten this up, there'd come a time, and maybe soon, when they might not longer be. So we have crucified the flesh and its passions and desires. We ought to have. We need to be working on that. We need to make sure that that old man of flesh doesn't like a zombie uh, come back and in his corruption, 
start again walking the earth and causing all kinds of trouble. But in the Corinthian church, there were some who were doing that. So instead, it ought to be this way, as it was back in Galatians chapter 2. Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20, Paul said, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and delivered himself up for me. So that's how it ought to be, that we are living now for Christ. So we're not under the law, but we're also not in the bondage of sin. To the Jewish mind, they could not conceive of that because they thought the law was the only way to rein in sin. Paul said, no, there's a better way, a better, stronger, more effective way. And that way is in faith in Christ with living in the Holy Spirit. Again, this uh, thought that this was impossible, that once you just had grace, while you just live a licentious life, because the more you sin, the more you get grace. Paul answered that objection in Romans 6. What shall we say then? Or would he continue in sin that grace may increase? May it never be. How shall we who died to sin live in it? So there, we died to sin. And how did we die to sin? Well, here in verse 24, we crucified it. We crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. What was the sign of that death? Paul says it was our baptism. Or do you not know that all who have been baptized into Christ have been baptized into his death? Therefore, we who have been buried with him through baptism into death, in order that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have become united with him in the likeness of his death, there's that crucifixion of the flesh and desires, and that's one of the things that baptism illustrates to us and shows to us, that death, burial, and resurrection. If we become united with him in the likeness of his death, we certainly also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that your old self was crucified with him, that our body of sin might be done away with, we should no longer be slaves to sin, for he who has died is free from sin. So, freed from sin, given this uh, break in that, that bondage, that sin that, that held us captive, right? Uh, we think about so many of the titles by which we lovingly and affectionately and faithfully call Jesus. We call him Savior because why? We were lost. Uh, we call him Redeemer because why? We were held captive. We were enslaved to sin. We call him Physician. Why? Because we were sick, right? Uh, we, we call him uh, Lord because uh, he directs. And so we think about these things that Jesus was, and we think about we, we were always the opposite, right? Um, uh, there was a Redeemer because we were enslaved. There's a Savior because we were lost. There's someone who's a life giver because we were dead. But now in Christ, we've died to those things that we might live with him. So we've been crucified. We have been crucified. Again, back to chapter 2, verse 20. I know we just read it, but we'll say it again. I've been crucified with Christ. So it's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And now this life that I have, I live in the flesh by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and delivered himself up for me. So it's the life of faith. It's the life in the Spirit. It's the life that now has 
broken away from that uh, a sinful life, that being captured and held in bondage of sin. So we got to replace that drive now. We got to replace the driver. We, we've we've got rid of that old dead driver who kept wrecking things. Now we've replaced it with a new driver, as it were. We, we have Christ through, and the Spirit who lead and direct us. So verse 25, if we live by the Spirit, now let us walk by the Spirit. All right, well, if we've been made free by the Spirit, we'll be free indeed. If we're going to have life, it's going to be by the life giver. It'll be by the Spirit. And so we've been raised to walk in newness of life. That was Romans uh, 6. Uh, we're now living the life of faith. That's Galatians 2. And so this life of faith, uh, this life in Christ, this life in the Spirit, this is the way we walk. So we live this way, and so now we walk this way. Now, I think if, uh, we often use live and walk as synonyms. How is a person living? How is a person walking, right? And we can walk in the light over in First John. Uh, we can be living in various sins in the book of Colossians. And so sometimes living and walking are used synonymously in a, of the same thought. Here, though, we'll note a difference. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. So we've got a difference here between the living and the walking. All right. So in this passage, there's a difference in the living and the walking. Again, I think it's like it was. Uh, in the last verse, it's positional. Verse 24 said, if we belong to Christ, then we've been crucified with Christ. So belonging is is the status. It's the position. It's the relationship. It's what we've been given to uh, since we've been uh, saved in, in the gospel. So we're part of his family. Uh, we're part of his bride. We're uh, part of his kingdom. We're part of his flock. Uh, all of these things that Christ is now to us, we belong to him. Well, that's our position. That's our relationship. And it's the same thing, I think, in verse 25, in the first part, in the living. We live by the Spirit. So th I don't think that's about how we're currently living and acting. That's not our moral life, our ethical life, our discipleship life. That's our position, that we have life. We've been given life. We were dead in our sins and trespasses, but now we've been made alive. We now walk in newness of life. And so I think this first part here, again, is about our position uh, in Christ, that we are living, we've been made alive, freed from uh, sin and death by the Spirit. So if the Spirit's done that to you, if he's raised you to walk in newness of life, then what should you do? You walk in his way. You walk in his way. And so because we have a position and a relationship, then we, we act in a certain way and we're on a certain side in this world. And it's in the walking of the spirit. Two sort of possibly imperfect uh, parallels to this. Uh, what would you think about a fellow who uh, attended a school, high school or such? He attended the high school, but he wore the colors of a different high school. 
And so imagine if you went to Derby High and uh, all you ever wore was East High gear. Or you went to Malvane High School and you, rose, you wore that Rose Hill red. You know, what's, what's wrong with that? Why, why, why? People always ask, what's wrong with you? Uh, you know, I know the Beach Boys, they sang Be True to Your School. We won't uh, use that as a modern hymn, but uh, uh, that you're true to where you are. And did you choose that school maybe, or would that be the, you know, your, your first choice? Well, maybe not, but that's where you are. So you're loyal to them. Well, we've been made alive in Christ. Shouldn't we wear the team colors? Shouldn't we root for this side, right? Or I've had it at various times. One time, many years ago, back in Texas, I was uh, close friends with a, a brother in Christ who worked for Coca-Cola. And then for a little while, I actually worked for the bottling company because it was cheaper for them to have me go and do uh, some task in my town than send him an hour out uh, with the truck to do some tasks. So for a little while, I worked uh, I worked for Coca-Cola, at least one of their bottling companies. And that one thing that guy would never do is he would never drink a Pepsi. And sometimes we'd go to restaurants and they only serve Pepsi products and he'd have an iced tea. He, he wouldn't drink any Pepsi products whatsoever because he worked for Coca-Cola. And he told me, he said, when you go out to do these small jobs and it was, it was just a few hours a week of pulling stock out of the back and putting them out on the, on the floor of the grocery stores. And again, it was just because it was cheaper to have me locally do it than to send a guy an hour drive and him on the clock watt to do it. They said, we're going to hire you uh, to be a helper and do these things. And when you go in the store, you're going to wear this Coca-Cola T-shirt we give you. And he said, you know, we, when, you, when you're wearing that shirt and going in the stores and working for us, conduct yourself properly. You know how to do that. He said, but also, don't drink nothing but Coke. If you, if you need a drink while you're working, don't drink nothing but Coke because you're working for Coke. All right, fine. That's fine. I preferred Coke anyway. Now, here in Mulvane... For the last number of years, I've had a dear friend uh, that I know through Scouts, and he worked for Pepsi for most of the time I've known him. And he had the exact opposite. He would only drink Pepsi. I never saw him holding anything but either a Pepsi or Mountain Dew. And we, sometimes we'd be on campouts, and the only thing left in the cooler would be some Coca-Cola or Coke products. He wouldn't drink it. Well, he worked for Pepsi. All right, so there's a loyalty these guys had to the team colors because of their employment. There's a loyalty we expect to the school uh, because of our relationship with the school. Well, now here in the things of Christ, being made alive by the Spirit, well, whose side ought you to be on and, and whose code of conduct ought you to follow? Well, the, you walk by the Spirit. So the, if we live by the Spirit, that's our position. That's our relationship. That's a, the blessed condition we've been called and lifted to. Then the moral ought, the ob the moral obligation is the the being true to the to our side is to then walk by the spirit. So we don't live like we're on the other team anymore because we're in the family of God. We're in the kingdom of Christ. We're in the flock of Jesus. We're part of the bride of Christ. We act like we're in those relationships. We think about this in Romans eight. There is now, therefore, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There's the blessing. There's the, the position, the relationship. 
For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. So you can be under one law or the other. This law, as it were, of the spirit of life in Christ or the law of sin and death. The law of sin and death is pretty simple. You sin, you die. The wages of sin is death. The soul that sins shall die. That's uh, Ezekiel 18. But there's also this law of the spirit of life in Christ. The law of the spirit of life in Christ is that if you're in Christ, he gives you life by his spirit. That's that law, and I'd rather be living under that law. So we have that blessing. This, this the law of Moses couldn't do, for what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, God did. Sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and as an offering for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. So that's why this law is effective. He took care of sin so that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh but according to the Spirit. For those who are according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who are according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For the mind set on the flesh is death, but the mind set on the Spirit is life and peace. Because the mind set on the flesh is hostile to God, it doesn't subject itself to the law of God, it's not even able to do so, for those who are in the flesh cannot please God. So don't act like you're on that team anymore. Don't act like you're on the losing side. The flesh side is the losing side. It's the dying side. It's the condemned side. It's the hellbound side. Be on the side of Christ through the Spirit. However, you're not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. But if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he doesn't belong to him. If Christ is in you, though the body is dead because of sin, Yet the Spirit is alive because of righteousness. But if the Spirit of him who raises Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. So, you're on this side. Walk like this side walks, which is in the Spirit, which is by faith, which is in Christ. And so then, lastly, verse 26, we got the don't be's. We got three of these. So we had the flesh was crucified. We're living by the Spirit. And now we got three things that don't be. And this will remind us of those things we just had in the works of the flesh. And again, here Paul gives us three. So there's four horsemen of the apocalypse. There's seven deadly sins. And now here are three don't be's. Don't be boastful. Don't be challenging. Don't be engaged in rivalry, selfish ambition. And don't be envying. Well, there went most of my student days, all right? There went a big part of my life. Why was I doing that? Why was I boastful? Why, why, why was I challenging others and always bumping into them and getting into to conflicts and, and chafes and rows and various kind of high-level and low-level uh, 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 well, I was trying, trying to think of the right word, but you know, rubbing up against each other the wrong way all the time. Why? And then also don't envy. So we start with don't be boastful. It is amazing what peace people are boastful of. And I say that with full knowledge that I am a rabid college football fan. The amount of boasting that my fan base does because of the number of victories and successes they've had against other fan bases 
Uh, it's what they're known for. Well, except for a couple of fan bases because they got more accomplishments than ours, but not many. Not many. Don't ask who because I don't want to tell you because I'm embarrassed. But people will boast about the things that they, they choose to be in, they choose to do. Uh, pe- people, they, they choose a fandom based on which one is the most important. You can always tell which team is popular in the NFL because you just look nationwide. The, the sales of their merchandise goes up if they've been successful. You always sell regional, but boy, when you have a national audience, uh, that's one of the reasons they always used to call Dallas Cowboys America's team. I don't think they do that anymore because they're probably not. But they sold merchandise nationwide. They're the most popular team in the country. Of course, they're also the most successful. People wanted that. They wanted something to boast in. Well, what did they have to do with the Cowboys except they bought some gear down at the store? Nothing. But they still boast about it. And so various fan bases. Why do they Why do they boast about their, their team in whatever endeavor? Because they bought a T-shirt. They bought some gear. Uh... But we'll boast about anything. We'll boast about birth. Like we had a lot to do with that. Uh, Which race we're in. Which family we're in. Which neighborhood we grew up in. How much wealth our family had. How much education they were able to afford for us. Our social groups. And we probably even had less to do with that than we thought. Although sometimes we'll intentionally uh, choose a social group. Uh, but we'll boast about things we buy. Okay, maybe not buy, finance. But, but we'll boast about the things we owe money on because it's not sure the thing you owe money on. Uh, we'll, we'll boast about just about anything possible, and a large number of those are things we had nothing to do with or we just chose to associate with our, ourselves with them because we thought they were already successful. The Apostle Paul said this about boasting, Philippians 3, Famous passage, although I myself might have confidence to boast in the flesh, if anyone has a mind to put confidence in the flesh, Paul says, I far more so. Circumcised the eighth day. Well, he had a lot to do with that, didn't he? No. Uh, Of the nation of Israel. Well, who chose where he was born? Of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews. All of those, that, that was none of his doing, but boy, did people who shared that with him boast in it. As to the law of Pharisee. As to the zeal of persecutor of the church. Well, now he's boasting that things are just flat out wrong. But he, he did them in ignorance, not knowing they were wrong. As to zeal of persecutor of the church, as to righteousness which is in the law found blameless. But whatever things were gained to me, those things I've counted as loss for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord from whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them but rubbish, in order that I might gain Christ. But he who boasts, Paul would later say in Second Corinthians, let him boast in the Lord. If we're going to boast, let's boast in the Lord. Of the things of this world, Paul says, let's count but rubbish. But if we're going to boast, boast in the Lord. That was Second Corinthians ten seventeen. We also have Galatians six fourteen. Paul said, may it never be that I should boast, except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. So let's boast in Christ, and let's boast of what Christ has done for us. This echoes directly an Old Testament passage. In Jeremiah 9, we have this passage. Jeremiah 9, 23 and 4. Thus says the Lord, Let not a wise man boast of his wisdom, and let not the mighty man boast of his might. 
and let not a rich man boast of his riches. Well, some people, you ain't got nothing to talk about now. You can't talk about that. No, but let him who boast, boast of this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who exercises loving kindness, justice, and righteousness on the earth. For I delight in these things, declares the Lord. So if you're going to boast, boast in those qualities of God. I know the one who is loving kind, has loving kindness. In the New Testament, we'd say mercy. I know the one with mercy, justice, and righteousness. And if you boast about him and that, then you would certainly see the obligation to follow that yourself. So let's boast only in the Lord. So if we don't boast, we won't have near so much challenging. The second thing here, Galatians 5.26 was, don't be challenging one another. You think about all the challenging people do uh, with one another. Uh, if you want to build yourself up, one easy way to do it is to try and knock another guy down. Or if a guy's on a higher level than you, try to at least get up on his level with him. And if you can't be the you know on the top perch by yourself, at least share it. But there's all kind of rivalry and ambition and challenging uh, to get to that. And so there's all kinds of strife, which we just had in the works of the flesh. Uh, when people don't view one another as, you know, higher or lower, and they're always worried about that. Am I up or am I down? Am I above this guy in status or below this guy in status? When you don't worry about that, you can have a lot more uh, peacefulness and a lot less friction. So we have this from Philippians. Do nothing of selfishness or empty conceit. But with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. And so if you're thinking about the importance of the other guy instead of the importance of yourself, you'll have a lot less conflict. You'll have a lot more harmony. You can follow the golden rule, which is treat that guy like you want him to treat you. Or uh, this uh, instruction of Ephesians 5, be subject to one another in the fear of of Christ. And so people are engaged in this rivalry, this boastfulness, because they think that makes life. They think what the other guy has, if they could get it, that would give them satisfaction. So we have this last one here. Don't envy one another. Well, why do you envy? Well, because you lust and you want and you cannot obtain. That's James 4. You envy because you think that other guy's in a better position than you. But what if you think the most important thing is, is to have a position in Christ Jesus? And the other guy, he has a position in Christ Jesus too. Well, then we share the most important thing. We should be allies. We should be friends. We should be brethren. No, we shouldn't be those in constant conflict. Uh, right before, we go back to the chapter 5, right before the section that we've read, on uh, works of the flesh and fruit of the spirit that we started that reading in verse 16. But right before that, verse 14 and 15, and to some degree, all of this has been just commentary and explanation of this passage, Galatians 5, 14 and 15. The whole law is fulfilled in one word, in this statement, love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, take care that you are not consumed by one another. And so loving your neighbor, all of these things are the works of the flesh. How many of them were doing a neighbor wrong? 
and all the things of the fruit of the Spirit, and how many of that was just doing right by a neighbor, how much of that was just commentary on that. The option of not following after this way of Christ is to bite and devour one another. And people do that all the time when they think too much of themselves and not enough of the other. Lastly, in chapter 6, where we'll be headed, Lord willing, next week, we have this from verse 3. If anyone thinks he's something when he's nothing, he's deceiving himself. So of ourselves and in ourselves, by ourselves, what will we say we are? Nothing. Nothing, especially when it comes to the things of Christ and the things of importance. As a matter of fact, we're, we're worse than nothing. We're a mess up. Uh, we, we've messed it up. Uh, we have fouled it. We've fouled the nest. We have uh, polluted uh, the world around us and our own conscience uh, by the sins that we have done. So we would turn to Christ. We would crucify the flesh and its desires. We would then in Christ and in the Spirit live by the Spirit and don't do these things here at the end, these things of boastfulness, of challenging and envying. Thank you for listening to this sermon from the Malvane Church of Christ. Additional sermons and information available at malvanechurch.com. Come see what a difference the Bible way makes.